0: the property pod. 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 pod pod welcome to the property pod with money web the property sector is an ever changing sector and in this podcast series your host suren naidu chats to movers and shakers in the property industry
1: hello and a warm welcome to the latest edition of the property pod south africa's premier property investor podcast My name is Suren Naidu, and on this weekly podcast show, we gain insider insights from leading executives, analysts, developers, and entrepreneurs in South Africa's expansive property industry. The need for urban regeneration in SA is a hot topic again, especially after the tragic fire in a dilapidated and hijacked building in the Joburg Central Business District. But uh, besides Cape Town CBD and perhaps the Joburg CBD, most of South Africa's other traditional major CBDs are seeing an increase in urban decay, capital flight and increased office vacancies, especially post-COVID. It's a complex issue and you could talk to about it broadly for hours. But today on the podcast, we have a global leader in urban regeneration on the podcast. He's an entrepreneur at heart and passionate about cities. He is Johnny Friedman, a former Londoner and South African who came to Cape Town in the early 2000s and fell in love with the city and decided to invest. Friedman is the founder of and CEO of Urban Lime, an innovative property company that has played a key role in the early regeneration of uh, the Cape Town CBD around Bree Street initially. But his pioneering urban regeneration efforts actually started in London in the 1980s. While the group is not invested in the Joburg CBD currently, it's got attracted to the Durban CBD back in 2014 and is a key player in South City's regeneration efforts. Johnny, I know that was a long intro, but a very warm welcome to The Property Pod. Good to have you.
0: Well, thank you very much, sir, I and mean, Very nice to be here.
1: Johnny, why are cities so close to your heart? Uh, perhaps you want to share a little bit of background behind your passion also around urban regeneration
0: it 's a good question, and the answer goes back a very long way. I grew up, as you mentioned in the introduction in in London and in the uh, in the seventies wasn 't a lot to do in London apart from enjoy London itself and London and the city and walking and the parks uh, really became my entertainment, and um, I spent my childhood and teenage life. And um, really right the way through, in fact, it took me to my fifth decade to work out which continent I wanted to live on and finally uh, decided to um, decamp my whole family on an ongoing basis to to, to South Africa. I've been working here actually for 25 years now, but uh, finally moved here in 2016. To answer your question, my passion for cities grew through my passion for London, for walking, for interacting with a city which constantly surprises, which allows, even somebody who knows it backwards like I do, like the back of my hand, you, you can walk in that city for hours and you can always find something that surprises. The city is a theatre. The city just fascinates me on every level, how uh, the buildings work, how the public spaces work, how the people interact with it, just the excitement, dynamism and Interest and pleasures that come from a great city in London is a great city and at that time possibly was even better than it is now in some ways. I mean obviously it's developed in other ways too but uh, walking, enjoying, engaging, really my fun was the city. My playground was the city and ever since that time from a very very early age I've been passionately and devoted to what it is that creates great spaces. Um, To take it one step further, the the passion was sort of reignited and and how I actually got into this business was that uh, during my university years, which were in the sort of mid 80s, I spent every summer in America and uh, in the 80s, New York was uh, an unbelievable city, it was, uh, it was rough on the edges, it was a dangerous city in many ways, this was before they cleaned it up and tidied it up and sanitized it in many ways, um, so it was a city which was dynamic and, um, and a lot going on and I saw some crazy stuff, but also, that was at the time of globalization, and there was uh, a similar to now really in uh, across the planet uh, the, the use of buildings was up for grabs you know the textile industry right in the heart of Manhattan didn't make sense anymore. It was either going out into the, into the provinces, into proper industrial states, or mainly going to China and India and, and Pakistan and Turkey and other places, which was leaving places like the meatpacking district completely derelict. Of course, now one of the most expensive pieces of real <laughs> estate in, in, in the world probably. But at the time, it was inhabited by Andy Warhol and David Bowie and Iggy Pop <laughs> and, a whole range, and Basquiat and a whole range of amazing... Artists of of different types, and they had they sort of created informal communities around these buildings which had lost purpose, and I was just amazed by what was happening there, and I saw all of this firsthand, and I thought to myself, when I uh, when I get going in my in my career, this is what I want to do. So I took that inspiration from the meatpacking district in New York, and I took it to the East End of London, where in fact exactly the same thing was happening: the textile companies, you know the Places where they where, where where they sewed clothes and stuff like that. I mean, doing that on five floors in Victorian buildings, right in the centre of London, of course, made completely no sense anymore. And um, what had happened is that those companies had moved out en masse leaving uh, buildings without any purpose at all. And I'm talking about in Hoxton and Shoreditch and Clarkenwell and Whitechapel, these areas which now sell for a thousand pounds uh, a square foot. We didn't feel in feet in England, a thousand pounds a square foot. We were buying for 18, 19, 20 pounds a square foot. And I begged, borrowed and stealed and bought my first one. (laughs) And that's how I got going really. Um, So um, the, the passion has never left me and the interest in cities, how they feel, how people engage with them, how to make them successful and how to bring people to make them 24 hour cities, how to bring people to live in the cities, it's still a great passion for me. When I came to South Africa, when I was, well, my parents were from Johannesburg, and. I'd sort of decided never to come back to South Africa, having known it just the, during the apartheid ideas when we came from time to time, a place I wasn't, uh, you know, had no interest for me at all. In fact, I sort of had a negativity towards South mm. Africa during that era. I was quite happy never to come back here, and I, but I got invited by a friend to come to a wedding, uh, which was in Stellenbosch, um, and I reluctantly agreed and came on the Thursday and had already organized my flights to leave on the Sunday. But when I came here in 2000, I... I was blown away by Cape Town and I I was uh, amazed at the changes that had happened, that I I saw fundamental changes that had happened since what I remembered during the apartheid era. And um, instead of staying for three or four days, I stayed for three or four weeks. I bought a house and it started off just sort of staying here for... Uh, you know, coming for holidays, bringing my kids here, and so on and so forth. But then, I saw what was going on in the South African cities, and the abandonment of uh, of, of Cape Town in particular at the time. But of course, it had happened across all the South African mm-hmm. cities. People were frightened of the cities post democracy and uh, had moved away from the cities and the unknown uh, to the safety of the suburbs and behind gated communities, both in offices and also in, you know, in their residential gated communities. And the city had been left abandoned because Cape Town is not an African city in the way that Johannesburg and mm. Urban and other cities in the country are. It was really abandoned. There was really nothing much to do there. And people, when I arrived in 2000, told me, you know, it's dangerous. And, and, and then when I did go there, there was nothing much to do. Then we literally had to rethink that city in terms of how do you draw people back into it incrementally from the perimeters inwards so people take baby steps back into it. And that process has been happening really right the way through to now and interestingly um, you know we're one of our projects at the moment major projects is church square which sits right where parliament is right Mm. in the heart of the center in fact one of the buildings we're working on was I think I believe it was the first earth in Cape Town so (laughs) so it's absolutely in the center of the city and of course what that signals is that the regeneration process has it's never complete cities are dynamic organic Uh, animals and and completely always adapt and change so there's never a there's never a point at which they end but what I'm saying is that the general acceptance of Cape Town as a city which is usable walkable exciting dynamic and uh, it has happened right across the board and any pockets where it hasn't happened East Village is still still working there and Mm -hmm. any pockets where it happens happened is going to happen. You know, that city is exploding. Um, And I'm hugely positive about that city. There's a big influx of people coming in from, from nationally and internationally. The way in which we are working is changing. And of course, I think that plays in Cape Town's strengths big time because mm. people are being hired out of Johannesburg and working in Cape Town. It used to be the fact that people thought they could only make a living and only be a serious business person if they were in Johannesburg, if they lived mm. in this country. But in fact, what's happening now is that you can actually be a serious business person anywhere and m- actually most of your business and most of your life and most of your entertainment and all sorts of things can happen on your phone and online. And, and in fact, interestingly, buildings now have to compete directly with with tech and the way in which buildings are being used uh, why it's such a fascinating time now i think globally but i think also specifically in south africa where there's been a reluctance to invest in brownfield sites is that people are changing how they're operating in terms of how they're living in terms of how they're shopping in terms of how they're socializing and the use of buildings the use of bricks and mortar is completely changing Mm. so This, again, has sparked, you talk about passion, this has sparked a whole new sort of passion, new direction for Urban Lime. And um, how do you, because we've always been in the business, how do you reinvent buildings? Mm. Even in the east end of London or or when we were looking in in, um, the um, meatpacking district in New York, how do you reinvent, repurpose, rethink buildings when they've lost purpose for whatever reason? And the reasons now are clear. You know, tech has transformed the way we do so many different things and buildings and uses of buildings have to compete directly right up against tech Mm. because there's much there's not that much I need to move out of my house to achieve anymore the days of going to a shopping center to buy a washing machine are just done you know the most things you don't really need to buy in shops and most things you don't actually need to go to work to do (laughs) you know so when you're in the business of shops uh, of renting shops and and running offices and thinking about how do you use buildings. If you're not, as real estate people, really thinking about how do we make these buildings relevant, how do we make them uh, fit for purpose in this day and age, in a, in a post-COVID in environment, in an environment where tech is developing at a, such a tremendous speed that so many uses are being, uh, you've got competition up against. Mm. So. This for us plays right into what we think is completely our sweet spot, which has always really not been about straightforward development. Mm. It's really been about reinvention of space, how does space feel, how do you use public spaces, how do you connect buildings, how do you use what's there, but make it exciting, dynamic, and, and worthy of a trip. And now you really have to compete right up against people staying, do I stay at home and get delivery to my house and get entertained on Netflix or work virtually? Mm. Uh, or do I go out into the, into the city, mm. into the world, and actually use real-life experiences? So it's a dynamic time, and it's an interesting time. It has its challenges, but it also has tremendous opportunities if you know how to play this game.
1: Mm. Johnny... Urban Lime is still invested in Cape Town and some of your newer projects are Speakers Corner and uh, a project called Salt Orchard in Salt River. Can you give us some highlights of uh, the projects in Cape Town in terms of scale? What's your presence in the mother city and the investment value over the last 20 years? Because you might have recycled some of your assets.
0: Well, we recycle quite a lot of our assets, but uh, we've invested more than a billion since 2000 in, in, in Cape Town. Um, currently, we're working on some very big projects. The key big projects that we're working on are uh, Seapoint, uh, where we're looking at uh, – we, 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 we've got multiple buildings there, and uh, we're, we're, we're moving into the residential space. What we're moving away from exclusively is district development and more intercatalytic development and using uh, working with partners in specialised areas. So residential is an area we've not we've done some of, but not. It's not been a big space for us. But uh, now. Uh, residential um, in, in all its forms. We're going from all the way from student, social, affordable, gap, uh, through to uh, middle income, housing, family housing and, and in the case of um, uh, Cape Town, luxury space. Mm. And we're going right the way through all of those areas. So Seapoint is we've got two major, in fact three major sites in in Seapoint which we're working on. Bree Street, um, again we're the largest single owner in, in Bree Street and I think um, uh, we've got a, a very, very substantial site there across three blocks now mm. so that's the second one Church Square you mentioned where we own a lot of the real estate around Church Square we see that as a it's already there's been a major transformation over the last five years holds it slowed down a little bit by COVID mm. but um, if you go there now it's unrecognizable from where it was five years ago we've got Fane Restaurant which was voted the best restaurant in, uh, in Africa and 37th best in the world and a Is whole range Is that in
1: Church Square?
0: That's, uh, we actually built that Papita temple half on the top of one of our buildings on church square yeah because
1: Uh, I was there recently and I was so impressed with all that's happening even you know post-covid with the boom in Cape Town I actually took opportunity to recently interview the Cape Town uh, City Improvement District um, chairperson so yes definitely a lot happening there
0: and uh, there's a very nice hotel on Church Square called La Botessa, which is there as well. Unrecognizable from where it was, but still got a long way to go. Activation of, that, of the, ch- the square itself, we're looking at very carefully, and we've got some very interesting plans there. And the fourth sort of major area in Cape Town is Salt River, which we see as a huge growth zone coming up. We've got there's the River Club development, which is only one kilometer away, okay. and, and there's a cycle lane that's been put in place between our sites and the River Club development where, of course, Amazon's going in and mm. there's tens of thousands of square meters of offices and, um, and retail that's going in there. It's probably one of the major developments that's happening. It's in interesting Salabons.
1: you mentioned about that because it also has a history. I, I was on your website and I see Rex Trueform's branding at the back of one of your sites in uh, Salt River. So that's another area which has a little bit of uh, textile and clothing uh, history to it.
0: Exactly right. And we so our site is three blocks which sit directly behind where Rex Trueform is. But that's also something we're expanding and we're working on um, uh, creating a lot of residential there and diversity who are actually Johannesburg-based. You would have come across yes. them, a divert- Johannesburg-based developer are putting up, I think it's 450-odd apartments on one of our blocks as well. Okay. So it's an exciting growth space there and, and, and it's definitely one of our main projects in in Cape Town.
1: Okay. Turning to Durban, the group invested in the Durban CBD around 2014. I know the city well. We chatted at the API conference uh, recently. It's my hometown. But uh, how did that come about? From my research, I see Urban Lime was also involved with the now defunct propetuity at, at one stage, uh, particularly with the expansion into Durban years back. But now it's, it's pretty much Urban Lime driving those projects or some of them?
0: Yeah, it was a very interesting where we got involved. We were, um, as a group, looking at a much larger picture of how we could get major investment behind multiple South African cities. And we were speaking to some major investors at the time. My view, very strongly, since the time I started coming here and started to understand where South Africa was in terms of its cities from 2000 onwards, really, was that there, the movement away from cities was an aberration. Everywhere else in the world, people were moving towards cities. And in South Africa, because of its unique history, people, especially you know white people and, and corporates and mm. the major nationals and stuff, were disinvesting and going on to this journey towards the north in mm. all of the cities they were. They seemed to go north. And they were hiding, uh, hiding out in headquarter office buildings in Santon and Mschlange and uh, and in, in, in Cape Town. It was uh, Century City and, and Newlands and, and these types of places, okay? And, of course, the population was too. Gated communities were where everyone wanted, felt safe. And out of that fear, the cities were kind of abandoned. Mm. So certainly in Cape Town, they abandoned because it's not an it was or certainly wasn't an African city in the way that, that Johannesburg and Durban are. But in Durban, the African population moved back into the city in a big way. Mm. And um, in my view, fit for, pretty much a fit-for-purpose city. It's, it's the degradation and the perception of non-safety is way out of line with reality, in my view. It's actually, it'll come as a surprise to many of your listeners, but it's actually in many ways a very successful city, right in the heart of the city. Not saying it doesn't need work and there's lots of things to be done, but the the opportunity came um, – we were looking at a much larger project and we were looking for a partner in Johannesburg because, as you mentioned in the introduction, it's not a place we, – we haven't invested in Johannesburg. In fact, there are a range of reasons. That's a discussion in itself. But I was looking for a partner in Johannesburg and we spoke to the Proportuity guys. And when we had a chat with the Proportuity guys, he said, well, actually, they've got a few contracts on some deals in – in, uh, in Durban, and we 'd be interested to come down and have a look at Durban and um, interestingly, I had us some spare days and we jumped on a plane and we met and we connected and, and um, we, we got involved in four or five joint ventures uh, with them, and that was kind of our introduction in two thousand and fourteen. What had happened in Durban is that almost simultaneously the funds had decided to withdraw from the city center from the CBD Yes, and um, that had happened in 2014, and the propertuity guys had managed to pick up a few contracts which they needed some help with the funding on so we assisted with that and we did a joint venture with them and then as you said they their, their main project went down and as that happened we bought them out and have ended up with with that but then we beyond those buildings we took our investment much further so they were mainly in the city center we took our investment to Rivertown and we own I think it's four or five blocks right up against the ICC mm. uh, which is uh, and uh, and blocks now towards the beach as well we see That area between North and South Beach and the ICC is an absolutely critical development zone. Um, In fact, that's a transformational scheme. For for Durban, and that's what we're working on at the moment, in conjunction with the city, the ICC, um, and a, a very major affordable housing partner, where we're looking to put up eighteen hundred units okay. uh, in front of the ICC, which is which is a very exciting and large scale project, which I think will be a game changer for that area because it also cause a lot of stuff which will happen around that, be a retail component. It will well. bring
1: it to life as well because I've been to Absolutely. many conferences there, but you outside the ICC, you can't even get a coffee sometimes. I think other than the. Well, well, retail, which is actually closed at the moment.
0: We could speak for half an hour around the architecture of apartheid and the architecture of fear and the ICC is probably a pretty perfect example of how you build concrete walls and allow people to drive straight in underneath it and their experience with the city is zero. They go straight up the elevator, they go in, they do what they're going to do, they come down the elevator, they drive out. There's no engagement at all with Mm. the city and a lot of what we do at Urban Lime is we think about how do we knock down walls, how do we open up, how do we engage people with the street. Going back to my experience, of London, you know the beauty of London is the is the walking it 's not mm. it 's not the destination it 's the journey and how do you make that journey interesting exciting dynamic, sociable, and open up the street and make the street part of your playground and um, that is something that you know is a legacy of apartheid right across the country where developers have built safe concrete boxes that people go from from point a to point B and back from point a to from point B back to point a, and there 's no engagement with the city they don 't see the city as a part of their day or their experience they 're just literally looking at um, a destination hmm. in out back and that is a lot about what we 're working about even people there's even people who would say they 're in the urban regeneration space, hmm. what they tend to do is build extremely nice spaces which feel urban, but they put large walls around them and security and security gates and security guards at the entrance. Um, and what we're about at Urban Lime is wherever possible, and sometimes it's not possible. Yes. Sometimes the realities don't speak to it, but wherever possible, we're looking to knock down walls, engage with streets and open up spaces and start talking to and trying to counter the perception that being in the city and enjoying cities um, is not only safe, but but, but exciting and dynamic and an an incredibly important part, especially for young people. Mm. And in my view, if a city does not provide spaces that talk to that for youth culture, for young people, where they 're walkable where they 're interactive, where you can sit and enjoy and move from one area or one thing to another where you 're not coming to one area you 're not just coming to one destination you 're coming to an area, so for instance, Florida Road um, in uh, in Durban, you know we see it not only do we see it well the, the initial project 's one point six kilometers from the from mitchell 's Park right the way down to the Umgeni road um, but the, uh, we, 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 we see it much wider than that. We're looking at all the cross streets and the parallel streets, and seeing. So, the, the opportunity is to come to an area, to a district. When I go to London, I don't. I don't just say I'm going to to there. If I'm lucky, I'll get a parking space fifteen minutes away, and I'll walk. And part of my enjoyment is the walking. Yes. Part of my enjoyment is parking, and along if I'm lucky to get a parking, or if from these days, parkings are not even necessary. You take an Uber in, or you walk in, um, but. Part of the experience is the unknown, is every few seconds. A good urban regeneration scheme engages your senses every five seconds. You should have something new to see every five seconds. Blank walls, gates, security, blocked off spaces. Uh, don't talk to the type of experience I'm. Mm. we're thinking about.
1: With regards to Durban, you talked about Florida Road. Uh, you talked about Rivertown. Uh, you're also involved in some uh, projects um, – Right in the center of Durban, just adjacent to the, the, the city hall. Um, maybe you want to share a little bit of some of your other investments in Durban. I was going to ask a question why Durban, but I see the propitivity kind of angle were well, almost an introduction to Durban, as it were. But you suddenly seem very uh, committed to Durban in terms of your investment plans, even going forward.
0: Well, the why was yes, the introduction came through propertuity. The opportunity came through the funds in that they very as they very often do, they kind of follow each other and they kind of things go in and out of fashion um, and Durban is a dense city not like uh, not, not, not like cape town there 's a lot of very tall buildings in Durban now. You've got a situation where there probably isn't a single shop available in the centre of, of Durban. The retail is pumping. We've mm. achieved four hundred and fifty square uh, around a square meter on the retail on the best on the best parts of Pixley Cosema, which is the old West Street. Um retailers pumping and the funds had one strategy and one strategy only with regard to the towers. Now, the towers, they were willing to let them to national tenants on a floor by floor basis, or possibly <laughs> if you twist it, there are half a floor at a time. Now, that strategy produced a very predictable result, which was about 40 to 50% occupancy and 50 to 60% vacancy, um, i.e. failure. And if you look at that sitting in an office in Santa and you put it on a spreadsheet where your retail is full, and you've got 40 to 50% 50% occupancy and you've got vacant rates on the balance and you're talking about very big buildings it destroys your returns Mm. so what happened was is that they they, and there was no b plan for that other 50 percent of our funds just did not have a b plan it's not their business so uh we came in there probably wasn't a developer we had which had the set of um, skills and experience that we had in the country also the balance sheet to be able to support it and we came in very quickly and just bought up a tremendous amount of space i just we saw the opportunity we thought Um, And something I look for very often in terms of investment decisions, I like to see the arbitrage where the perception of something is very out of line with the reality of it. And I think nowhere in my career have I seen that more so than in the center of Durban. People were making decisions about values and what that city was like. In terms of its operational, uh, uh, in terms of its operations, its success, the, the amount of people going in there, and so on and so forth, uh, with the wrong information, uh, most of those people had had not even even been there for the last twenty years. Mm. Never mind walk the streets and understood and try to understand the culture and what's what people want there, and so on and so forth. It's interesting. We've had discussions with major retailers who say that on a square meterage basis, there's nowhere in the country that they achieve more per square meter than on the old West Street, Dr. Casama Street,
1: it's especially on the
0: left-hand side of the street for some reason. <laughs>
1: it's interesting you measured that because just for clarity for, for some of our listeners, um, uh, three it used to be 320 West Street, and it's one of the biggest buildings in the Durban CBD, and it used to be owned by really fine properties. A while back, they, they tried to do some stuff there, but it had a strong office focus, and uh, they even— changed its name to uh, Redefine Towers for a little while, if my memory serves me correct. How long have you been involved with that project? And I understand you have some big plans there because the last time I went there was pre-COVID, in fact, and I chatted to your head of uh, the Durban unit at the time, uh, NAD, um, and I walked down there and I saw a sports scene and I saw Virgin Active on the first floor and I was like, wow, what's happening here? But I understand that you have bigger plans for the entire building.
0: That building is actually going to be transformed over the next 18 months. Uh, We're just about to, I'm not sure whether I should announce it now, but we're doing 2,600 students in that building. Okay. Um, It will become the largest student building in, in, uh, well, certainly in Durban. Um, I would say it's the largest retrofitted student building in the country. It sits, I believe, as the fifth tallest student building in the world uh, at 30 floors. It will have 12,000 square meters of retail dedicated um, and aimed at the student market. I mean, not exclusively, because it's incredibly successful as a shopping center. There's going to be a food court on the second floor with a fabulous gym, tremendous amount of of alternative activities for the students to do. And it's really going to be something quite, quite fabulous we created it's called student city and it will be connected to other buildings as well which we hope to add in about another additional thousand beds so it will really be probably the first proper city center enclave for students catering to literally all of their needs and that's a tremendously exciting project and again we're working with partners on that specialized partners and um, one of the major universities have backed it. And and that's a very exciting project, which, which we'll be able to discuss at another time in more detail.
1: Thanks for that. Uh, I know it's a much longer pod than usual, but it's a fascinating conversation. So we're going to continue. Just for some stats, because MoneyWeb is a financial news website. Overall, how much, uh, what's the total value of your portfolio in the two cities you currently invested in uh, I in think terms rough, of rands and also square meterage, Joe, I don't know how we'd uh, cover that.
0: Roughly around three billion rand, and in terms of square meterage, can't tell you exactly, but we're—I think—we have about a hundred odd buildings across the portfolio. Okay. Maybe even slightly more than that, um, and we're continually adding to it and and changing it and developing it. And in fact, the the future for us is is um, uh, consolidation around our districts. Uh, We're also working very closely with major corporates who have portfolios of buildings, which really in today's post-COVID and uh, with the advances in technology that we talked about earlier, um, have lost their purpose and um, have uh, they're struggling. A lot of these corporates to find ways to, in, in which to fill these buildings, manage these buildings, and 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 them. And um, we're working more and more and putting ourselves forward as sort of using our experience in how to transform, how to repurpose, how to rethink. In, a way, in many ways, that's what our skill set is. We're not straightforward developers. Mm. Our skill set is how do, you, how do you take something that nobody wants? <laughs> For instance, Durban in, in 14, 15, where they can't see solutions. And how do you take that process through? How do you apply the IP that we've gathered over the years and the skills of our team? And find a solution that speaks to modernity that speaks mm. to the modern worlds that speaks to what's going forward um that so and, and the answers to those are, are are never cut and paste they're always unique um and every single project needs to be completely workshopped and thought through and we, we we have certain principles which we always use which is best in class it sits right up at the top we always think about how does it feel to be in that space experiential stuff at whatever level, whether we're talking social housing, I want to do the very best social housing you can possibly do. We're talking students, I want to create a landmark, blow-away student accommodation that no one's ever done in South Africa for. Obviously, you've got economic considerations, yes. and there's only so much people pay, and, and there's the... but Within those confines, we try to stretch that out as far as possible. Mm-hmm. But also, if we're talking about other types of housing, or we're talking about high streets, or we're talking about restaurants, or experiential places, or, uh, you know... We, we're so cognizant of the fact that it's got to be special to take me out of my own living room because my living room is special right now. You know, <laughs> it amazes me. You know, my partner wanted ice cream at 10 o'clock at night in Durban. When I first arrived in Durban, you couldn't get anything delivered ever. To get ice cream delivered to your house at 10 o'clock at night in Durban, unheard of. <laughs> I mean, whether that's right, I mean, that's not right across the country, but, you know, that's coming. If it's not here already, it's coming. So you're also on, in every level. It can all be done at home. You have to engage. You have to make things special. You have to tick all the boxes and make something that, that really is competing head on and add something different from, from, from what you can, you can do on your phone or your laptop mm-hmm. or your iPad or whatever it is, you know.
1: Taking the conversation back to the whole urban regeneration aspect, uh, you were speaking at the Africa Property Investment Summit uh, last week and on urban regeneration, especially in the post-COVID setup. So you've talked a little bit about that already, but can you perhaps share some insights further than what you've shared already that you shared on that panel, especially within the context now you talked about tech, but even in urban areas, Santon has double digit vacancies on offices. So they also need to do a little bit of rethinking, one would think, there as well.
0: Look, it's a good question. South African developers are as good as anybody else in the world and probably better than most at greenfield development. You know, if you want to build, Gator communities, headquarters, office buildings, hotels, shopping centres, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The urban sprawl of South Africa has, you know, <laughs> been developed, and in many cases, been developed extremely well. You know, it's there is a because the cities have had the history they've had, and outside of the possible exception, well, not well, a uh, specific exception of Cape Town, they've been something of a graveyard for most. For most developers, and they they don't understand brownfield development. And my view, this was something I mentioned at the at the conference you were, you pointed to earlier, was was the following: is that when you look at the office market as a general market globally, and if you were to conceive, put that in your mind's eye as a cube, that all offices globally. Obviously, there's going to be differences in different countries and different areas and different neighborhoods, and there'll be specifics about everything. But that cube, that office space cube is going to be cut in half, not is going to be, has been. I know companies in London that have downgraded from 4,000 square meters to 400 square meters, and they're they're operating perfectly fine in 400 square meters. They've redesigned their space. Office design is totally changing. But drop-in, flexibility, virtual, multiple small spaces and so on and so forth. But that cube is half. If you look at the same conceptually, the same in retail, you know, that cube is also substantially smaller and is going to get smaller because the vast majority of my consuming is going to be done online mm. with deliveries happening with hours and sometimes within less than an hour coming now drone deliveries are on their way there's all sorts of tech which are going to speed this up and make it happen but we're seeing it in front of our eyes you look at ai where ai was in january most people had not even seen a single application in january and now we're all using it you know writing my letters assisting me i've got it on all my devices it's writing notes it's giving me to-do lists this is transforming in front of our eyes okay and in the real estate space where you've got fixed illiquid assets you have to be thinking dynamically about this. Now, what I would say is that because of the history of South Africa, the fear of the cities, the lack of interest and investment and development in the cities, it's left a skill set shortage. I'm not saying there are no one, There's no one in the, skill, in, the, in the field. But, for instance, in London, retrofitting, dealing with brownfield spaces… Yeah, dealing with existing buildings, dealing with heritage buildings, opening up spaces, making spaces exciting, dynamic, inviting is 50% of the game. They're also good at building offices yes. and uh, and shopping centers and hotels and all of that stuff as well and big towers and skyscrapers and everything else. They can do that too. Yes, No better or worse than the South African counterparties. But in this space, in this space of brownfield development, public space design, working with the cities, creating areas which basically people have either gone out of fashion or people just can't see purpose anymore or function. This is something which I've dedicated my life to and our business is focused completely on this. And we really want to help corporate South Africa with not with everything. We can't, haven't got answers for everything, mm. but we want to go wider than our current district development strategy and we want to help them with catalytic buildings because because buildings can be a catalyst for change in a big way it can have a ripple effect which can rip right the way through neighborhoods and make major difference i believe in 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 the built environment can transform areas and lives and people's um desire to be in places you've got to be if you haven't got a city which keeps its young people that's cities only on a downward path. Mm. Durban, for instance, you say you haven't been since 14.
1: Well, the census just came out, (laughs) and I often talk to people about KZN having the highest population in uh, 2006. It changed in 2011, but since then it's lost 2 million people. And people from school, probably 60% of my uh, friends from school are in Joburg or Cape Town. Now, you see, that's a, a
0: disaster. Yeah, you know, if a city is in that space, it's only got one way to go. Mm. You have to change that. And then the, the the question you have to ask is why? Now, if you can answer that question and you can start becoming a net importer of young people, it's critical that mm. a city speaks to youth culture, to what young people want. Mm. And in my view, great public walkable spaces where people can linger which are sticky which people go to areas they can meet people they can interact that is competition if you're saying what do i do on a saturday i'm i'm a 20 year old and all I, my option is gateway or the beach <laughs> you know that's not very exciting to me you know when i especially in a global world when i can choose to go and live in london or i can go to cape town or i can go to wherever mm. you know where people are moving around in a way which they never moved around before mm. you know if you don't make your city exciting dynamic then it's unwalkable i mean and um, multi-dimensional and appealing directly to to your youth. You're going to lose them.
1: It's a long conversation. I have one more question, but I just thought about it. I have to ask because there's a lot of negativity around some of the challenges that Durban's faced post uh, the riots and the flood challenges. Your thoughts on that? Uh, is it getting back on track in terms of, you know, like some of the problems around the beachfront? I know you're not directly invested there, but... Uh, the ICC precinct is quite close by, as you mentioned. The river. Well, I mean, Rivertown
0: really borders right onto it, and our project wants to hit directly towards it and join the beach to the ICC, in effect. Um, so, we are directly involved in that. Okay. Uh, look, my my view about Durban is it has more than its fair share of uh, natural and unnatural disasters. <laughs> um, I think my 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 overriding view is that if it could deal with its governance and be governed properly that it has the opportunity to be one of, if not the best, city in Africa. I take it beyond South Africa. And I'll explain that answer just very quickly as you want to wrap up, I know. Johannesburg has a lot going for it. It's a big city, but it doesn't have the leisure lifestyle. Cape Town has the leisure lifestyle but doesn't have the big city business stuff. It's not a proper, and it's certainly not a proper African city in the sense. I mean, when my friends come to Cape Town, they think it's more like Monte Carlo. than Africa. <laughs> they don't well, What's going on here? They don't, know, they don't get it. You know, they don't feel like they're in Africa at all. So – Okay, Durban is a proper African, a huge, obviously, Indian population and, and multicultural in the fullest sense of, uh, of the word. It's a proper city with proper uh, industry and, and so on and so forth. Um, and yet, on top of all of that, it has this amazing leisure potential with the best winds of weather I've experienced from and I've lived in many countries uh, in anywhere in the world. It has the opportunity to actually be both. Very few cities in the world are both. Mm. And if you look at the very best cities in the world, Rio, Manhattan, uh, Barcelona, and so on and so forth. Lisbon. These are beach cities, which are proper cities as well. Okay. In my view, a promenade like they have there, the industry they have there, the weather they have there, the leisure they have there, if they can get the, the authenticity of what they have there. I think if, the hinterland, the magnificence of the thing. there's so much to do within a couple of hours. If you can get that right and you can get that governed correctly, it really has an opportunity to pitch to be one of the best cities in Africa. I can't think of better ones, really, that okay. has both of those elements.
1: Well, it adds a little bit of context because sometimes you get, a, like South Africa, you get caught up with the, the negativity and the bad news. Lastly just uh, to culminate a little bit what's next for Urban Lime you spoke a little bit of some of your expansion projects still pretty much focused on Cape Town and Durban are you looking at Johannesburg considering your your kind of partnership vision around uh, partnering with corporates and uh, SOEs around some Look, of their portfolios
0: uh, we, we might uh, we, we're not ready to do that yet uh, we're focusing on on Durban and in Cape Town you know in both of those cities if you, do, if you do 100 buildings in Durban, you can transform that city. If you do 100 buildings in Johannesburg, people might not even notice. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a big nut to crack here. And there's a lot of work that's been done in pockets, but it still needs to join up. And there's quite a lot of work that still needs to be done. And we just think the timing is still not quite right for us. Um, but it certainly doesn't count it out for the future. Uh, Sorry to
1: cut you off there, but I found it quite interesting because I haven't been in the Joburg city, unfortunately, for a while. But... You know, you have the big banks, not all of them, but some of the big banks still based there. Things are changing because of COVID. But the city is really, you know, really suffering, but you still have the big banks based there. In Durban, for example, it's slightly different, where you have these big banks leaving, even though it's not as bad as the Joburg CBD. So it's quite a paradox, and maybe the decision makers, uh, local decision makers are... Um, messing things up a little bit, but sorry, that was a little bit off an the side.
0: Well, I think it, it is interesting that the banks have have stayed, and of course, Standard Bank have been very involved in um, uh, the regeneration of that area around where their own buildings are, mm. and trying to link it up uh, more. Uh, I think with diversity, actually, in, yes. into uh, I think uh, it's also Absolute City, and That's right. Sorry, I mean Absa. That's right. It okay. was Okay. Uh, so um, look in in, uh, in, in Durban, um, many of the corporates have gone north, but actually interestingly, many of them have also stayed it's a, Some of them need to be in the city and the ones that need to be in the city we 're doing a profession we've one of our big projects there is twenty five thousand square meters of prof, what we 're calling a professional quarter where it 's actually at opposite of what we normally do it 's cre- creating a safe enclave within the middle of the city it 's like a little oasis within this city uh, which talks to people 's requirements for
1: what building is that I know, just for you to mention it, because that got a lot of coverage uh, a few years ago when it was launched?
0: So that is a, we bought the old Nedbank Tower. Which is a Norman Eaton building, actually, it's an amazing tower. It's the one with the green lattice frontage. Mm. And we also bought Sixth Urban Club Place, which is uh, where all the advocates used to be, or some of them, many of them, some are still there. We're pedestrianizing between the two buildings. It's 25,000 square meters, and we're actually sort of almost locking it off. So it becomes, it becomes like a sort of, again, opposite to what we normally do, but a kind of a gated community within the heart of the city. It just sits off Anton Lambedi, which is the Poesians. old Smith Street. Yeah. And it will be safe and secure and pedestrianised. It'll have everything you need. We've got a the One Club is there, which provides a sort of co-working stroke restaurant space on a rooftop, which is good as anything I've seen in London or New York or anywhere. It's a great space. If you're in Durban, go and have a look at it. Um, anyone is welcome. Um, and uh, multiple other facilities. There's a conferencing floor and so on and so forth for corporates that want to still be in the city. And there's still enough of them, but there's not the... A-grade proper accommodation, which is serviced and so on and so forth. So it's, so that's something, that's another one of our major projects uh, um, in the city.
1: I took you off that last question, but the next uh, steps for urban line quickly to conclude. Got it.
0: Well, we are putting our uh, key district developments into a REIT and the end of January, which should launch in the end of January, um, uh, which which we'll be announcing properly and and in more detail uh, towards the end of the year. Uh, Secondly, um,
1: is that going to be listed on? on It will be listed on
0: one of the secondary exchanges. We're just making a decision as to which one. So that will be our district development. We're moving very heavily into working with corporates as i discussed in terms of assisting them to find uh, solutions for buildings which are which need specialized attention which is sometimes outside of their skill sets or uh, not, sometimes not even outside their skill sets but just outside of their not their core business and mm. and it is our core business so with a view to these buildings we'll we'll do better in a joint venture or, under our watchful eye and uh, IP and teams working on them rather than having them sitting in subsidiaries or sort of secondary sort of interests within the corporates themselves. So these are major corporates and peristatals. We're in discussions with with multiple ones of those and about to close some deals in that department. Um, And that will take us into a whole range of areas where we haven't specifically been involved ourselves, but conceptualizing it, we'll do the public space stuff, we'll do the IP and the conceptualization. And we will bring in partners in terms of execution, depending on where it sits, whether it's in, you know, in, in one of the housing classes, or whether it's in uh, wellness, in those spaces, or uh, in other public uh, public use type spaces. So, specialized partners, whether it's in storage or so on and so forth. Mm. We'll be working with a range of special... And we're lining those partners up now, and always, again, best in class, mm. exciting develops. Everything should be catalytic. We don't want to get involved in anything that's not big enough and exciting enough to actually spark interest and create interest so much that other developers come in, other investors come in. of okay. about key objectives is to, is to spark and uh, spark the interest of other investors, change perceptions around places, and turn them around. And in fact, in the 34 or five years we've been involved in this business, we've done that so many times, where we've bought into areas where people think, mm, what are they doing? <laughs> and why? You know, areas that have gone totally out of fashion that we're buying in for uh, a, a small percentage of replacement costs. And turning them around to prime spaces. Mm. Church Square is a good example. We yes. talked about it earlier. It's become probably and certainly has the potential to become one of the best inner city prime residential spots in the, in, the, in the whole city and not only residential but also leisure and F&B and so on and so forth. So that's kind of the direction for the company. We see it as a very exciting times. So I think it plays where the market's at in terms of COVID, technology, and the very fast-moving nature of how we're living, working, and playing uh, talks straight to what our experience and our our team skill sets are at, at Urban Lime in terms of reinvention, repurposing and, and, and doing, doing stuff with areas and buildings that, that really have never been done before. Thinking forward.
1: Johnny, that has been our record, uh, the longest property part, but it's been a fascinating conversation. Johnny, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. That's Johnny Friedman, the founder and CEO of urban regeneration property group Urban Line.
0: Thanks for listening to the MoneyWeb Property Pod with Suren Naidu. To listen to more episodes, go to moneyweb.co.za or the MoneyWeb app and follow MoneyWeb News for daily updates. Follow Suren on Twitter at Suren Naidu for more of his property industry content and other business stories. The property pod, pod, pod.